is Sean Donovan, and you're listening to the guys at Send Central. I'm Drake Bowerson, and you're listening to Send Central. I must keep you in Canada, where you'll be safe and assigned your own hockey team. Please not Ottawa. Please not Ottawa. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. The worst is behind us. And we feel, as a hockey group, really passionate about that. And I know there's been some tougher times, but we feel the good times are ahead. Welcome to Sens Army Lisa from The Simpsons. As you heard there, The Simpsons, the latest to take a friendly shot at the Ottawa Senators. But... As much as they've been a laughing stock, and I think that's fair to say over the past 18 months, Pierre Dorian was confident at his end-of-season press conference. But before we move on to the building part, this was a rebuilding year, and we've got to break it all down. So this is episode 58, the Max Lejoie, or dare I say, Cody Bass edition of the podcast. I'm Ross Levitan, joined by Brandon Piller. Hello, hello. And Chris Parliament. What's up, boys? Well, you tell me what's up, Parley. You're in Woodstock, and I think we have inside information that the Toronto Maple Leafs are, in fact, golfing. (laughs) Absolutely. Jake Muzzin was at the course I work at today. Almost snuck in 18, and then the sleet came. Uh, Tough break for the Leaf. I wasn't in the the second or third shot approach on the seventh. (laughs) That seems to be where they have the most trouble in the postseason going up against the Boston Bruins, who... I don't know if uh, you guys know, but the Ottawa Senators beat them in the postseason, those same Boston Bruins, but they didn't beat many people all season. The Senators finished the 2018-19 season with a 29-47-6 and record. Since they pulled all the star power out of their lineup, they went 7-15-1, and including five straight losses before Mark Crawford took over. So he finishes the season as interim head coach with a 7-10-1 and Record. We'll get into some more specific team stats later, but Parley, I'll start with you. How would you sum up the 2018-19 Ottawa Senators? I mean, if you're going to want to rebuild, and if you're wanna going to have success in the future, you got to do what the Sens did this year. It's tough, but that first step is always going to be the hardest, and that was the first step in what we knew all along was going to be a rebuild. There was a lots of um, body blows along the way, you could say, losing key fan favorites and Eric Carlson at the start of the year, then Mark Stone. And you really don't have to go down the list. Everybody knows how bad it's been, but it's over now and it's time to move on. And I think that was the message that Pierre Dorian was trying to, trying to come across. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no secret. The Sens were in rebuild mode. I mean, geez, how many times did we hear Dorian say that this season and for a rebuilding team, like you said, Parley, they did what they had to do. You know, they knew they couldn't re-sign uh, Stone, Duchesne, and Dezingle to deals that both sides liked. So you had to move them. And the focus was picks, and boy, did they get picks. They've got picks on picks on picks and conditional picks even waiting to be lined up. So really, as far as rebuilding goes, I think they did a good job with the circumstances that they were stuck with. And you know what? In situations that become dire like this one did, you're either all in or you're all out. You can't yeah. really kind of beat around the bush and the Sens didn't do that. They moved every asset they had and gained every asset they could on the return. So you got to hand it to them. They did what they had to do. It was tough and it obviously wasn't the best decisions for the fans all the time, but you know what? It had to be done and they did it. And there are still a few interesting uh, 
scenarios that will play out either at the draft or going into the summer with some free agents, Cody CC, Colin White, Christian Willanen, all restricted free agents. Of course, Brian Gibbons, Oscar Lindbergh both came in and played really well. I'm uh, missing Anthony Duclair, who is restricted as well, but under the same vein, came in really impressed uh, towards the end of the season. But those will be decisions. We'll talk a bit about that later, as well as the head coaching search, the president of hockey operations. But there was a black cloud, and not only surrounding the Stone Duchesne to Zingle market, but the pick, the one that they had the choice. Was Colorado going to get the 2018 first or the 2019? It was fourth overall. You think, hey, finish last, still have a 50% chance. And that's exactly what happened. So the Senators made the right decision. We never wavered on that here on the show. And Chris, you were Team Brady all the way. And I think with that, we should get into what Dorian said when asked if he had any regrets about taking Brady Kachuk. None. Have you seen Brady Kachuk? I think we've all seen what Brady Kachuk brings to this hockey team. There's, I've been in the game of hockey for over 25 years. We are lucky, the Ottawa Senators, to have Brady Kachuk. No one's perfect. We might have done mistakes. I've done mistakes in the past. I know there's one thing I'm proud of. And I think one thing that this hockey operations group is proud of is drafting Brady Kachuk. And what he brings, the intangibles he brings to the game, you can't find those guys. And you can hear from the general manager, very confident. I think we'd all agree. Parley, what was uh, your takeaway? Did Brady exceed your expectations? I think he did. And this was a guy we weren't even sure was going to make the NHL lineup out of the gates of this season. You he knew was he going was going to London. Gonna... Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this year it was... It, it really did blow not just me, but everyone away what he was able to accomplish on the on the ice. The points speak for themselves, and he gave the fans something to get behind, and that was huge. Not only was he always doing something that the fans could get behind on the ice, but he's constantly interacting, putting out social media stuff, really giving the fans something to look at in a positive light instead of all the negativity that was going on around him. Didn't step down from anyone paid rent with his fists at one point fighting a veteran and just an abdicator, but by far the most important element of what Brady Kachuk brought this year was the ability to play his game. And by that, I mean, a lot of times you get big guys coming into the league that are put into that power forward role and have no idea what they're doing. And that was not the case with Brady Kachuk this year, his ability to play with the puck in his feet around the net and pivot to a scoring chance play that bumper roll in front of the net on the power play, be a pest, throw his body around, stay engaged in games, play big minutes down the stretch. Those are big things that need to happen for a player like him to have a lot of uh, success on the ice. And that's exactly what he did this year. So his ability to step into his role and fulfill it so well just blew me away night in, night out. Yeah, and I mean, we'll get into Brady Kachuk more when we... uh get into our season uh, wrap awards. But basically, like Ross said, the three of us never wavered on the decision that with fourth overall pick, the Sens needed to take either Brady Kachuk or Zadina. Thank God they took Kachuk in hindsight. But the fact is that we always knew it's better to have 100% of a fourth overall pick prospect, get a year of development in, get the guy you want, move on from the protected pick, and to take that pick instead of what a lot of people were saying, even some credible media uh, reporters and uh, 
media personalities were saying it's a joke that the senators aren't deferring the pick, which is crazy to think that you would ever give up 100% of Brady Kachuk for possibly 18.5% chance at the first overall pick. And for once in this entire 18-month stretch, the Senators finally had some luck go their way. Colorado Avalanche end up with the fourth pick, which is the best-case scenario that could have happened. I, I know I was relieved, but imagine the relief Dorian had when he saw that. Yeah, on his phone uh, at his son's hockey practice. This time he didn't tell yeah. anybody what rink he was at. I wonder if anyone <laughs> actually showed up. Probably a smart move. Uh, getting into Brady Kachuk's game a little bit more, we know he can fight. We know he can kind of drive play offensively down low but what really stood out to me was the amount of shots he got he led the Ottawa Senators by a mile in shots on goal 214 get this in 11 less games that's only one less shot than Phil Kessel had who is known as a shooter a scorer other guys in that range Philip Forsberg Jason Zucker actually tied him with 214 shots so I think not only does that mean he can get volume on net, but those are from high danger scoring areas because we know Brady finds his way to the front of the net all day, every day. And if that was the first overall pick, I could see the disappointment. Jack Hughes, 32 points at the under 18s, uh, a new record beating Ovechkins. Um, So there is that, but you have to say they made the right pick. And out of the 17 rookies that played for the Ottawa Senators, I think it's a consensus, right boys? That uh, he's the, Ottawa Senators Rookie of the Year. Yeah, definitely the top rookie of the year for the Senators. And I mean, when you're the fourth overall pick, that's one of the highest picks the Sens have had in their franchise. So he had the pressure on him and he stepped up. And Chris, you mentioned a lot of stuff, uh, and Ross, you as well with the shots on net, about his on-ice ability to really affect the game. But for me, I think his most impressive attributes were the off-ice intangibles that he brought. Let's be honest, last season, this locker room was an absolute debacle. You had star players, uh, fiancés getting into it, uh, just some real nasty off-ice stuff. It really didn't seem like this team was meshing at all. And Brady Kachuk comes in here, and I like right away, you get that burst of youth. You get the laughter, the good times, the smiles, having fun, messing around with teammates. Even guys who came into this team after the deadline seem to really click and have good chemistry, which is something the Senators' locker room has really struggled with since that great playoff run that we saw a couple years ago. So to have a guy that can come in here and change the culture like that, which Brady did, I think just speaks immensely about what this kid can bring. And that was his first season. The best years are yet to come. Yeah, and he's not the only rookie that spent most of the season with Ottawa. We mentioned there were 17. A lot of them were up and down, guys like Batherson and, I mean, even Formanton, Schlappick, Rodewald. They had so many players play for him this year. I think it was up in, in the high 40s. Vitaly Abramov even got a sniff there at the end. Yep. But of the guys who, who were farmhands, so not Christian Yarosh, not Max Lajoie, not Brady Kachuk, who is your farmhand of the year for the Senators this season? You mentioned him, Ross. And I, for me, it's Drake Batherson, friend of the show. He was a standout when he first came up because he instantly gel- gelled with Matt Duchesne. And unfortunately, kind of halfway through his stint with the Senators, the writing was kind of on the wall with Duchesne. And at that point, it kind of looked like it was the best move for Batherson to move down and continue to dominate in Belleville. But when he got Which brought he up, did. it was it was impressive 
to say the least, what he was able to accomplish on a top line and the ability and the way he was thrown right in there and really didn't stunt his game at all. And I'll never forget that pass out front on the backhand, a tap in for Matt Duchesne and Matt Duchesne turning around and saying, wow, what a pass. Yeah, Batherson definitely is uh, a great choice for that, Chris. My my pick, and I mean, I've been high on this guy pretty much since he came, is Rudolph Balsers. And I feel like he there was some more that he could have given, especially since, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like he was put into the situation a little unfairly. He got called up, and everybody was expecting he was going to get called up. He was lighting it up. In the AHL, that top line was just dominating. Him and Batherson were a great duo. But then when he got called up, he just kind of stayed there. There were circumstances that caused him to stay there, be it injuries, trades, just a messy roster in general. But even though he didn't necessarily light it up in uh, points-wise, he did have a good start. He had uh, four, four points in his first five games, two goals, two assists. And I think really if he would have been given a little more time in the AHL, he only had the one season with the San Jose Barracuda, which he led the team in scoring that year. I think he really, really could have developed more, especially if he spent more time with Batherson, your choice, Chris. But I think as far with the situation that he was put in, I thought Baths or Balsers, sorry, did a good job. He had a good net presence. And when he had some space with the puck, he showed you he had some really good offensive abilities. Yeah, I like what Balser's brought. Absolutely, he deserved the extra look in games. I don't think any player benefited from Mark Crawford taking over as much as Christian Wallanen did. Played in 16 games after Mark Crawford took over and had seven points. He was a plus two. And I think what m- the most important thing is he was up near 20 minutes. He was playing 19 and a half minutes. And when he was under Boucher, he was getting 11, 12 minutes a game at times. There was even a game against Arizona where he played eight minutes. So... I mean, he's the kind of player that his skating is his best attribute. So he needs to be out there. He needs to get into the rhythm of a game. And I think Mark Crawford allowed him to do that. It was one of my bright spots uh, towards the end of the season. So I think Christian Wolainen, maybe you could see the other side of it. And if he was in Belleville that entire time, especially when LeJoie went down and then got hurt right away, and same with Branstrom, they really needed and they missed that puck-moving uh, ability that he brought. So... I guess if a naysayer wants to say maybe him not being in Belleville cost them a few wins down there, but the yeah. experience that he got uh, ending up playing 30 games in the NHL, add that to 10 last season. So he'll, he'll be coming in. I think he can compete to be a top four defenseman uh, going forward for, for next season right out of camp. But, I mean, you need good goaltending to make your defenseman look good. So as a goalie-friendly show, we got to give out our Goalie of the Year award is it going to the UFA or, I mean, Craig Anderson stood in there it's some nights at the start of the season, Pilsy. Who you got? I'm going to go with the RFA, Ross, and that's Marcus Hogberg. I mean, he was the MVP for the Belleville Center's entire season and well-deservedly. Hogberg's been through the ringer with this organization. He, the season before, he bounced around from Belleville and Brampton. He wasn't really sure where he stood. Then they bring in Gustafson, a highly touted goaltender, who basically they say you're going to have to compete with now. And then on top of that, they bring in Mike McKenna. So I'm sure Hogberg's sitting there like, what, what, am I, what is my role here? Where, where am I at? And he started the season with an injury. It kept him out for a long time. And then when he finally is healthy and playing, they just keep putting him in the crease. He had a point where he was playing 22 of 24 games for one stretch. 
And keep in mind in the AHL, you're looking at a lot of back-to-back games, which they had no problem trotting Marcus Hogberg out for those games. He had 21 wins this year in Belleville. He did spend some time in the NHL, which it's kind of similar to the Rudolph Balser situation where he deserved the call-up, but it wasn't really the right spot and time for him. But I think Hogberg, is that's going to be really intriguing what they do with him as an RFA. He finally has had a chance to show what he's got, and he stepped up to the plate big time. So I don't know, guys. Will will Hogberg be a backup in the NHL next year? Will he be the starting goalie for Belleville, or will he even re-sign? Well, there's so much uncertainty with Mike Kahn and still under contract for next season. Yeah. Same with Craig Anderson. So you got to think those two guys making NHL salaries, they're kind of your... One and two. Well, not not to mention uncertainty with Anders Nilsson. It's even possible they bring him back. I mean, it's not likely, but he had a pretty good showing for one of the worst defensive teams in the league. His numbers weren't that bad. Yeah, only sends goalie to be under three in goals against average. He finished the year in 24 games, 2.9, and also the best save percentage with a 914 save percentage. Um, sends you six goalies, though, including Mike <laughs> McKenna played 10 games this season for the Ottawa Senators. I know Sens fans. It's felt... Like an eternity. He won one of those 10 games, by the way. But my goalie-friendly show award has to go to our friend of the show because we have to talk about Joey Decord. Yeah. Is it a Sen Central bump? I mean, we kind of knew he was going to sign. But uh, <laughs> 10 days after uh, we chatted with him, he got, what, a $90,000 signing bonus? So how are you? I'm Not sure too that, shabby. That could buy a few beers on campus at Arizona State. But he actually got into a game, played one game against Buffalo, allowed five goals, but faced 40 shots, which I think he's been used to playing at Arizona State uh, for the last few seasons. I'm, I love that they got him signed. And one of my favorite quotes was uh, one that his his dad said, of course, really um, respected goalie coach, is he said, the fact that Ottawa drafted him, that meant something to us. So there's a, a, a element of loyalty there, and I think that's great. A guy that wants to be there, another young guy. And Christian Willanen was the first guy to welcome him to the rink when they walked in together. And, of course, he went through the same thing after North Dakota season ended last year. He ended up coming up. So he, he was the perfect guy and uh, showed that his aggressiveness will translate to the NHL. Yeah, he slipped up and had a nice spill in the middle of the game, but... 10 seconds in, he's already playing the puck. He's looking. He's trying to make plays. So I, I think that his confidence is definitely something that's going to carry over to next season. And I'm hopeful that we see somehow Hogberg, as you mentioned, back up in the NHL next year. And that would allow a nice young duo of Gustafson and Joey Decord in the minors. You might think, man, Gustafson, we didn't hear that name. Well, if I had told you at the start of the season that he was going to play 31 games in Belleville, you would, have, you would have been impressed with that number. They all came in a row at the start while yeah. Marcus Hogberg was hurt, but that's still great, good experience for him, and I think that he's, he's going to be able to take a step, much like Hogberg did, next season. Exactly. I was just going to hop in and say that. I mean, it, it takes time for these guys to come over to the North American ice and get their bearings sort of thing. So I, I, would be, I wouldn't be shocked if next year, if Hogberg's able to make the jump, we see a uh, similar traje- career trajectory for Philip Gustafson. Now, I'm going to go back and say Honors Nielsen is my pick just because posting a 500 record with that team in front of you is uh, is worth the nomination for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. And since we're talking about some some most improved guys in terms of, of goalies and, and Hogberg, uh, what about out front, Pillar? Let's start with you. Who's your most improved Ottawa Senator player this season? Well, for me, it's easily Colin White. 
And I mean, I've I've been on record when Colin White was drafted and started uh, showing up in the organization's uh, rosters that I wasn't that impressed with him. I mean, his first season, he had 21 games in the NHL, two goals, four assists for six points. And you know what? It's tough to really evaluate a player on their first little stretch of uh, NHL games. And 21 games isn't a big sample size, I'll admit. But I just I didn't really like what I saw, and I wasn't wasn't too happy with uh, with how things were turning out. But I'm completely a, that's a complete shift from this season. 71 games played, 14 goals, 27 assists. The guy really showed what he can do, and is really earning his uh, draft selection for sure. Seems way more comfortable in the NHL as well. I mean. Before he seemed nervous to play the puck, and now yeah. he's jumping after it, fighting for it, trying to get some open space. And then when he gets there, he's showing a little burst as well, which is a refreshing sign for the naysayers, like you say you were, Pillar. Uh, I'm going to go with a guy a little bit off the board, and maybe not somebody w- we would think of as a most improved senator, but I'm going to say Dylan DeMello, because he came in, seems kind of weird to say, but... I had him as mine. When he first came in as a senator, I mean... There was really no expectations, and he certainly exceeded them. And I would say the most important part of exceeding them was he did it on a dime. He played almost. Yeah. He played over 19 minutes a night for 900k. Yeah, That's and he impressive. was kind of brought. Yeah, he's brought in as a depth piece. I I thought, and then he's turning out to be like a guy who can play sometimes in your top four and be that kind of safety blanket for a guy like Thomas Shabbat. And since you took mine, I mean, Demelo is a great one. I'm going to go to a guy who I think improved a lot this year just in the sense that they they really challenged him within the organization. I think you're going to see him take an even bigger stride next year. So this is more of a primer, and that's Christian Yaros, the fastest player on the team. So he went last season, he spent kind of, well, most of it in, uh, in Belleville. He played 44 games down there, so only two NHL games. Played 61 NHL games this year, and he is a warrior. He's... He didn't have any of his big open ice hits either, which we knew in Sweden when he played for Lulia. He was known for that. Same in Belleville. But I think as he gets more comfortable, next year you're going to see Christian Yarosh take an enormous step. But I, I won't say that that's an underwhelming season. Some would say one goal, 10 points, minus 14. That's what's impressive about that. But to me... That doesn't underwhelm me, but there were some senators that did. So, Parley, I'll start with you. Who was your most underwhelming Ottawa senator this well, season? Well, in, in a season that really was put up or shut up time for him, Cody Cece underwhelmed entirely. Uh, and it seemed, I think, the most, the part of the season that really shed the most light on how underwhelming Cody Cece was this year is the Sens were at their best early in the season, and it was when he was out of the lineup. Uh, he's got, he's got moments where if he's on the ice, you can kind of point him out as the reason that there was a guy open back door, or there was a, there was a play to an open man out front or anything like that. It just seems to be, he's the one that's easy to point out and he keeps getting thrown back out there again and again, because he got that contract at the early part of the year. But when it was time to put up, he certainly didn't. Yeah. Cody Cece, like 
we could, we could do a whole podcast on the disappointments <laughs> we've had from Cody CC. And like you said, leaving a guy open back door, Ross, I don't know about you, but I, I couldn't even count how many times there was a two on one and Cody CC was the only guy back. You could pretty much just guarantee a goal there. Like you might as well not even finish the play and the goalie might as well just do a quick lap to the corner. Cause there's no chance. Cody CC could never decide what is he going to cover the pass or the shot. He would just, Wave his stick. He would just wave his stick and spin around and not really be effective in any way. So I think there's no doubt that Cody Cece definitely was underwhelming. My player, though, is Mikel Bodker. Yep. I mean, geez, yeah. you trade a 30-goal scorer in Mike Hoffman, and he's the main return. And let's be honest, Hoffman, that trade, uh, Dorian didn't really have much of a bargaining hand. Between was, a rock and a hard place, for sure. Definitely. But, but wouldn't you rather the picks? I mean, we saw what Mike Hoffman's value was later that day. Yeah. yeah, and and that's the frustrating part. But I think I don't think at that point Dorian was going for picks because they needed they just needed someone on the roster. I think he was focusing <laughs> on a roster position. I'm not saying that's the right choice. I'm saying that's the angle they were taking. But holy, does this look like such a terrible trade for the Senators? Not only is Mikel Bodker extremely underwhelming, Julius Bergman, who I actually thought was a nice throw-in piece, he had 20 assists with the Barracuda before was a complete afterthought. And Ross, we went to a bunch of Belleville Senators games and this guy was nowhere to be seen. They just ended up, he ended up flipping to like three different teams on the deadline as just a roster piece. But to go back to Bodker, he had 88 shots in 71 games played. That's just brutal. You're a $4 million guy, only seven goals. He did have 28 assists, which is kind of right around his season average. So you can't get too upset there but I imagine a lot of those assists are secondary and more a result of being same or right place at the right time rather than him making a skilled play and if I'm not mistaken I think he was even a healthy scratch at the end of the year with uh with Crawford uh on on the reins so that's just not acceptable and that's a four million dollar player that the Sens at this point have just got to take the loss and hope that he has a bounce back season next year so they can flip him at the deadline for something. Yeah, and he's one of those players as well. It's a $4 million cap hit, just $3 million in salary on a back diving contract. Okay, I don't want to be too hard on this guy because I don't think he was ready for the NHL at the beginning of the year. But when Max Lajoie started with seven points, four goals in his first six games, everyone was like, wow, well, I see why he made the team. But, I mean... Again, it's so hard to pick on him, but he finished the season in his last 50 games minus 26 with eight points. So had just as many points almost in his first five games as he did his last 50. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, not to harp on him because he is just a 20-year-old. And it's too bad he got hurt when he went down to Belleville because I really think that that would have helped his confidence get back up. But, I mean... Who was his partner? That I was just about to say, Ross. I think the real asterisk you have to put on all these stats is time played with Cody Cece. Like, the, let's be honest. Every every guy who's been stuck on that pairing with Cody Cece has had terrible plus minus uh, numbers. And when you're with a guy like Cece, I feel like Lejoie, especially his rookie season, had to pick up a lot of the slack that Cody Cece caused. And that's just a not not. A fair position for a young guy trying to make an NHL start, especially as a defenseman, when you don't have a veteran guy helping you out. <laughs> in in fact, he's doing the opposite with Cody Cece, uh, the second most games played as a senator right now, just did not perform. And 
when you're when you're the first pick for underwhelming player of the season and you're also a reason why another person was a pick for an underwhelming <laughs> player that's not good that's and, not good and how about this just for one final stat so Cody Cece was second in average ice time per game just behind Thomas Shabbat um but then you go down so it's then it's Mark Stone Dylan DeMello Matt Duchesne and then Max Lajoie, like he was being trotted out there almost 19 minutes a night, 18.54 to be exact. And I mean, that's one way to learn, almost similar to Christian Yarosh. I just think that Yarosh was able to kind of hold his own in his own zone. He's obviously a bigger man or yeah, a bigger helps. size than, than Lajoie. So he, that's another intriguing storyline going into next season is, is how Lajoie will uh, come off not only his injury, but another off season of putting on bulk. Yeah. And what was weird for me was early on Max Lajoie. It didn't seem like he was kind of getting those lucky goals, but he seemed he had quarterback instincts on the power play. He was driving plays. He was jumping into the play at the right time, leaving the point, filling the empty lane, going back door, finding open ice. And it led to eight points early on in the season. It seemed he lost that. He got a little bit too much in his head. He was trying to play too much defense. And it, I mean, as a defenseman, that's something you want. But I think that's a big result of, again, playing with Cody Ceci, which is really the polar opposite of the Mark Stone effect. Yeah. Speaking of Mark Stone effect, I'll start this one off. And even though he didn't play the whole season with the Ottawa Senators, you can be certain that his 59 games were of the utmost value to the Ottawa Senators. So Mark Stone was 62 points in 59 games. And just for the fact that he helped Brady and Colin White feel more comfortable playing against other teams' top players, Mark Stone is my MVP for this Ottawa Senators season. And I'm so happy that he finally got a Selkie nomination. No winger has been nominated since Yuri Lettinen won it in 03. So watch for that uh, coming up at the uh, the NHL awards, but stick taps to Stoner. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, no one has been, no one was close to as valuable to this franchise as he was over the last year. And he just handled it all like a pro and co- has continued to. There was that one comment that hit the airwaves, the Twitter sphere, whatever you want to call it. And he was an absolute pro retracting it as well. Did all the right things. S- went out and found a reporter to tell him what had happened. Yeah, he called everyone in. Story. Exactly. And he was a true pro and uh, someone don't, I'll definitely miss in a Senator's uniform. Don't be surprised. And I mean, Sens fans might want to plug their ears on this one. But if I would be shocked if he's not uh, the first captain in, in Vegas Golden Knights uh, history. Yeah, that's, that's sad because he should have been the captain of the Ottawa Senators. And I mean, talking about MVP, if I'm not mistaken, he still leads the league in playoff points, even though round one is wow. over. <laughs> so like this, this guy, as soon as I think Vegas... Fans didn't really know what they were getting from Mark Stone and maybe were a little shocked at the what they gave up and the massive deal they signed him to right away. But he's he's a he's the most valuable player. And that would be my choice, Ross, if he played the whole season. Since you you took it, I'll go with Thomas Shabbat. I mean, this this guy, he's had so much thrown onto him. He led the team in points with 55, 41 assists. He had 16 power play points. Thomas Shabbat is this 
team's next franchise defenseman since Eric Carlson left. It's too bad he didn't have more time for Eric Carlson to sort of mentor him, but I think the time they did spend together uh, really, really showed with how well Shabbat played this season, and they got to lock this guy up long term. Yeah, and I went with Christian Yaros uh, instead of Thomas Shabbat for most improved. That's probably inaccurate, but I let you take it for for MVP. And if you're the MVP after having 25 points the year before, up to 55, uh, yeah, I'd say he, he was pretty improved. But it, it was almost versus expectations there. So uh, yeah. Unreal season by Thomas Shabbat. We'll talk a little bit about the World Championships at the end of the show. Uh, Colin White also uh, hopping into that. But the Ottawa Senators, I mean, they lost 47 games. What more can you say? Five more than the uh, the, the second worst team in the league. Uh, they were the only team to let in 300 goals. They let in 301, which was dead last by 10, more than the Blackhawks. But there was a good stat. And what's that record against the Leafs now? For the season? Well, I mean, we know how long we, we know that Babcock can't <laughs> yeah. But we'll talk about this season specifically. Yeah, well, that they had a 3-1 and record against the Leafs, which in a year where you're finishing dead last rebuilding without your own pick, there's not much to get excited about. But this was these games were pretty much our Stanley Cups. I mean, the, the Leafs just had no answer for the Senators. And I think my favorite game, though, was uh, the one near St. Patrick's Day where the Leafs... On St. Patrick's Day. It was Day. on St. Patrick's Day. And the Leafs came to Ottawa wearing their lame St. Pat's jerseys. And the building, there was buses, trucks, cars, trains, boats, planes, packed full of Leafs fans <laughs> coming to this game. And what a disappointment for them. And in those four games, uh, they outscored the Leafs 19-12. to 12, So they really stepped up the goal scoring. And the leading scorers against the Leafs this season may surprise you. Zach Smith had six assists in the series. And our boy, Magnus Payarvi, five goals and one assist, just incredible from those two kind of bottom-feeding guys to really step it up in big moments. Well, I was at the game uh, at Scotiabank Arena here in, in Toronto and uh, at the start of the season, and I think they're still looking for Igor Ozhiganov's jaw strap <laughs> somewhere in the rafters. Uh, they might have actually sent it back to the KHL because it looks like uh, Ozhiganov's NHL career might uh, might be behind him. But yeah, Thomas Shabbat completely undressed him and. Uh, since we were talking about Mark Stone earlier, we do have to give him a couple more stick taps because he finished his career uh, as an Ottawa Senator with just a, an unbelievable stat line against the Toronto Maple Leafs. 30 points in 21 games. He has no more than 19 points against any other opponent. So when the Leafs were play, were in town or whenever they were in Toronto, you knew Mark Stone was showing up. And my favorite of those points was when we packed about 20 people into our apartment. I would say 80% of them Leafs fans. Us Sens boys, we stayed strong. There was a goal scored for the Leafs to tie the game up. Timeout by Guy Boucher. Mark Stone. I think that was a Uh, five-point night. Stole the pass right off the draw. Came in, made no mistake. Buried on the rebound. And I've never heard us louder, boys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess in a game of rock, paper, scissors, stones beat, uh, stone beats leaf, eh? Always. Every <laughs> time. Just mowed right off. And <laughs> I guess that's that's about it. Any closing remarks here? But we'll talk a little bit more about the head coaching search, the world championships, uh, and the free agents. But let's get into the Belleville Senators season a little bit. I mean, so close, so far from the playoffs. All they needed was that that win on the final day of the season against the Cleveland Monsters, who actually have already won their first round series. So 
that almost adds insult to injury. Just a 4-6-0 and, and o record in the final 10 games, missing it by one win. Like, you can look at all the improvements, and I mean, there are a ton, nearly a 20-point improvement from the year before. They had the most points in franchise history. They had they scored the most goals. They allowed the fewest goals against. This is all last well, a two year or this span, year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, it is um, sample size. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, they, they had so many players going up and down. They used 48 players this year. Yeah, the transactions for the auto centers, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it broke some kind of record for most transactions for a franchise in one season. But Ross, the most heartbreaking thing is we all knew the auto centers were going to be a disaster this season. But Belleville, there was a light at the end of the tunnel, especially after they crawled out of the gutter, mostly thanks to Marcus Hogberg and Drake Batherson from I think they were last place in the division for a while. And then they had this playoff push and it's the Cleveland monsters that, that uh, ousted them for that final playoff spot. The worst part is we took one of their best players in Abramov. So you think that would be kind of a two, two steps forward on them. And then to make it even worse, the final day, the monsters playing the Marlies, of course, the Marlies can't help out the Sens and Rochester Americans had I don't even know how many players, but it was a handful of guys come up from the East Coast Hockey League to play because they already clinched and they didn't want to risk injuries. And it was their goalie's first AHL game. So the fact that in that big moment, you can't step up and win that game to go to the playoffs was just so heartbreaking. And not to mention, you you have Brandstrom, your massive pickup for our, our uh, MVP, Mark Stone, and then he gets hurt down the stretch too, just... A tough way for that season to end, but uh, overall, it was a good season for Belleville and lots of excitement going forward in the future. Yeah, Eric Branstrom finished with just four points in nine games with the Belleville Senators, but they did have some bright spots. And I know the team MVP is Marcus Hogberg, but if we go beyond that, I can bunch together Rookie of the Year and Team MVP with, as you mentioned, friend of the show, 22 goals, 40 assists for 60 two points that was drake batherson and an all-star game berth and a 10-game point streak a franchise record and my favorite part is that when he got sent back down from ottawa he went through a little bit of a slump how was he going to react to adversity and he came out of that slump with flying colors led the team in points by 15 and he was just a force every night on that top line with logan brown and nick ball but it wasn't always Logan Brown and Nick Paul. He was playing with Rudolph Balsers at the start of the year, and he handled that like a pro. He handled being moved up and being sent down like a pro. This guy showed so much, so much more than what you could ever expect from a fourth-round pick. And, Ross, you mentioned he was an all-star. He was an all-star MVP. That's big news for that oh, franchise. Yeah. yeah, and, I mean, Belleville basically – or, sorry, uh, Batherson basically put Belleville on the map. I mean – in especially Toronto media, you don't hear a lot about the Belleville Senators, even though it's just two hours down the highway. But once Batherson started lighting it up, you had TSN, Sportsnet, everybody was talking about how this fourth round pick is just lighting it up in the minors. And Batherson definitely had a, an amazing season for Belleville. But a guy I want to touch on is Nick Paul. I mean, how many years were we so uncertain? What's Nick Paul going to do? Can can he live up to any expectations as being pretty much the focal point of that Spezza trade? I mean, we're not going to count uh, the the picks and uh, uh, who is the player? Blank, I'm blanking on it. 
Oh, Shaysan. Shaysan, yeah. Stanley Cup champion, <laughs> Shaysan. Didn't, didn't pan out at all, and it took Nick Paul some time. But in 43 games this year in Belleville, 16 goals, 23 assists for 39 points. He was bouncing around the lineup a little bit too. He spent some time in Ottawa, but he really shined in Belleville this season. And he was the first star of a lot of games. And he had yeah. some clutch goals and some pretty sweet sellies too. I'm a big fan of Nick Paul now, and I really hope they give him a chance and uh, give him a deal. Well, the thing about Nick Paul, too, is it feels like he's been in the organization forever. He's yeah. 23 years old, so uh, he's a guy they're going to have to make a decision on, RFA, so they can they can qualify him. But you'd imagine he's got to have a proper chance. He did play NHL games this season, but he was averaging eight and a half minutes. Like, what are you, what are you supposed to do in that amount of time? A guy who thrives, especially, it felt like in the third period, he was always buzzing around Clutch the offensive guy. zone. And you need to feel the game. Same with Willinen and all these guys, which, I mean, I appreciate some of them when they brought them up. Like like um, with Branson, when he played with Ottawa, he was playing top four role. That's what you have to do. You can't pigeonhole these these offensive guys into a fourth line role. Yep. It's just, it's never going to end up working well. Um, but another important part of AHL teams, not only are the young guys, but some of the vets. So, for vet of the year, Pillar, let's start with you. Yeah, well, if if we're starting with me, I don't want to take your guy, uh, Ross, no, but I'm definitely going Darren Archibald. When that was one of the best trades all season, even though it seemed minor, sending McKenna and Tom Pyatt for Nielsen, Archibald, and was there a pick involved in that as well? Fifth round. Yeah, fifth round pick was a great move. Just kind of one of those sneaky little moves that – once you trickle down the roster, it ends up having a big effect. And when he came to Belleville, he showed that he was ready to really step up and be a vet leader. I mean, he had he had 17 points in 28 games, but it wasn't just uh, him on the score sheet that helped out. He was a physical presence. We saw him absolutely destroy someone. I forget who it was, but it was one. It had to be one of the hits of the year. And he just brought that presence where he was always calm, always knew what to do in each situation. And just just a great guy to add to this Belleville team because as much as people want, just want to see the young guys and the, the sexy, exciting prospects play in Belleville, you need to have the veteran guys that can kill penalties, make hits, uh, have clean zone entries, just, just the simple things that pros know how to do every day to support these young guys because you can't just have a team of all 19-year-olds and expect them to go to the playoffs. So he is vet of the year for me 100%. Yeah, that's good. And there, there's some other good options. I'm going to leave the the top guy for, for Parley. I'm assuming he'll take him. But for me, at the start of the season especially, when Willinen was up, I mentioned they, they just needed a puck-moving defenseman. So they went out in another minor league trade, and they got Stefan Elliott, who finished with 20 points in 44 games and was able to play in all situations. And he was a big part of that midseason push when they went, uh, what was it, 18 out of 20 games at the point? It was unbelievable. Um, just the, the calmness that, that veteran defensemen can bring. And we saw that it wasn't only um, Stefan Elliott, but it was another uh, pickup, Cody Golbeff, near the same same time. And the two of them came in. They were steady. They were sturdy and, and nothing fancy about their game. So I really appreciated what uh, what they brought to the Belleville Senators this season. Yeah, well, anytime you can toss some Olympians on your blue line, that's uh, that's a good call <laughs> for sure. Shout out to those guys. Yeah, that's good. Parley, we got... 
I guess I will take the cop out and uh, Jack Rodewald, but he led the team in shots on goal. If you take out Vitaly Abramov, which I think makes sense because he was a monster for a lot of the year uh, in a literal term. Yeah. Uh, but when I look at a vet, I want a guy that shows up every night and he's going to do what's needed to be done and be depended on by the coach to execute the game plan. I mean, that's what Jack Rodewald did. And if you look up what a veteran is in the hockey dictionary, I think that's exactly what you're going to get. So I think Jack Rodewald fits that role pretty well. Yeah, and and Rodewald, this was his best season in the minors. I mean, he he had 47 points, 23 goals, and 23 goals, that was even more than Batherson in the same amount of games. So that's pretty impressive to have more goals than the hottest player on the team. And his next highest season total uh, in the minors was with uh, the Binghamton Senators, where he had just 27 points. So he really stepped up, and he was a guy that I would have liked for the Senators to, even though he's a great vet and needed on the Belleville Centers, I would have liked for them to call him up more and really use him as kind of a fringe guy rather than kind of going up and down with Nick Paul and guys like that because it kind of hurt their consistency and chemistry I think whereas a guy like Rodewald you kind of know where his ceiling is you kind of know where he's at and what you're getting from him so he would have been okay to kind of bounce up and down and I mean like Archibald did yeah yeah exactly and he did do that a little bit but definitely impressed with Rodewald and uh, he was an exciting player in the minors for sure there's a lot of excitement in the minors though surrounding young players and we already touched on Drake Batherson so I want to leave him out of of this next category but we'll call this the the Fresh Prince on and Bel Vegas, not Bel Air, um, for for a prospect that kind of surprised you in Belleville. Parley, we'll go with you. I'm gonna go with Rudolph Balsers because it seemed when the Eric Carlson trade went through, everyone was like, "Oh well, they got Balsers in return," and it felt like we were kind of grasping at straws there. And it seemed like, oh, he was the prospect to come back and be the big part of it. But he proved, once again, he can get it down on North American ice. And I think the biggest thing for him is he shows signs of being able to not just score goals, but create offense as well. And I think that's often overlooked skill as a winger, being able to get the puck in the neutral zone and create chances at the other end. And I think that's something he showed with his speed, his hockey sense, his hands, his ability to get to the net was something I was very impressed with. I was so nervous and I I appreciate what you're saying about Balsers, but Logan Brown only played 32 games last season. So I was really nervous. And then he got hurt near the start of the season, missed some time. 42 points he finished with, played 56 games, which I think is almost as important. He missed 20. Uh, at one point, it was a bit of a call-up. He had he had a brief stint with Otto, just two games this season after playing four before being sent back to junior. But I still see a very high ceiling on Logan Brown. So they needed that out of him, some confidence. He led the uh, Belleville Senators with six game-winning goals. So he was able to put the puck in the, me- in the net when it matters most. And again, a huge part of that, that midseason run where that top line just just grabbed the bull by the horns and and were were unstoppable on many nights and that's what you need to see out of Logan Brown dominating performance and I like that they kept him down for most of the season he needed to to grow into his body this is a guy who's 21 years old and he's six foot six like it takes some time to grow into that body so 
Uh, credit to them for that, and I think that he'll he'll be on the Ottawa Senators opening day roster next year. You guys disagree with that? No, no. I think it's time for him to get his shot, and he's uh, he's a big size guy that needs that is uh, something the Senators need down the middle. Yeah, and Logan Brown is a guy that, uh, especially being a high draft pick like he was, and just so much expected out of him, that he's the kind of guy that the Senators are trying to groom into probably a second line center, right? A guy that will be a top six forward, not your top center, but a guy that can give you kind of that power forward role. I think seeing seeing him uh, develop with Brady Kachuk would be really great in years to come. I feel like those two would cause a lot of problems for teams. As if, I'm going to go a little more off the radar than you guys, and it's a guy that I really thought I liked in a small sample size was Morgan Klimchuk. I mean, you only saw eight games out of him, but they got rid of Gabriel Gagne, who was really underwhelming for uh, the Belleville Senators and just the franchise. He was a guy with size similar to Logan Brown that they thought really could blossom, but he just didn't turn out. In eight games, he had four goals and one assist before he got injured. He's a restricted free agent, and I mean, he's not going to move the needle too much for your franchise, but that's one of those depth guys that I feel like you kind of need to have at, like a third-line role on your AHL team that can at least support and help other guys develop without taking too much of the shine. So that's somebody that like, he's, he's not really a high high end guy or is going to make a huge difference, but a nice guy to keep around in, in a two way deal. If you could get him. All right, well, let's move on to Belleville senators. Of course, I, I won't say that it was, a. would you say it was a disappointing season? It was disappointing only in the fact that they were so close and they had everything lined up. I think, honestly, the biggest disappointment, though, was when Branstrom got hurt because he was that puck-moving yeah. guy, like you said, Ross, that imagine if they had him and Willinen healthy down that last 10 And Lajoie. Well, and Lajoie, too. But, I mean, those guys are those are top two defensemen in the minors easily. So when he got hurt, that really put a damper on, uh, on the exciting turn of events after the deadline for the Belleville Senators. It was a good season in the fact that it was a massive upgrade on last year, especially with Mann coming in as the head coach. He really changed the culture there. So overall, yeah, it was a good season. Okay, well, let's go. You mentioned uh, the, the opportunity potentially to bring back Morgan Klimchuk, but there are some bigger names, bigger fish to fry this summer. <laughs> we'll go with the restricted free agents, so still under team control. Uh, the NHLers, the list includes Cody Ceci, Christian Willanen, Colin White, and Anthony Duclair. But I want to focus on Cody Ceci. And I was telling um, Pillar earlier today, I think what the Ottawa Senators are, are going to do here or what they should do, you make Cody Ceci the best offer that you're going to make him the day before the draft. Which that offer scares me. I don't know about you guys. I Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be a very big offer if it's coming from me. And we heard, <laughs> I don't think that you got a ringing endorsement out of Cody for Cody, Cody Ceci from Pierre Dorian. He said, if slotted in the right spot. And those were big words for me to hear. But I am I am nervous. I'm scared. But if he doesn't sign before the draft, I think you use him and one of your three second-round picks, or two second-round picks, rather, and you try to move up and get another first-round pick. And I think there are teams that, that would bite. I, I truly do. I mean, that, uh, that for the... Sends own first round pick because the lottery only counts for the first one. So that's going to be the first pick of the second round. If you package that pick with Cody Cece, how high up in the first round can you get? Can you get a 15 to 20th overall pick? Maybe. I think that's an avenue that needs to be considered because 
in terms of the other guys I mentioned, Christian Malinen and Colin White, I think you start showing that this rebuild isn't going to be a year-by-year thing. I think those are two guys who you commit to. You say, look, we're going to give you some term, and we want you to grow with us. Would you be against signing Christian Malinen to a five-, six-year deal after what you've seen? I mean, maybe I'm biased because we've seen a lot of him in the minors, and we can see that he has the, the tools to be an NHL star defenseman, I'd say, and a guy that can put up 50-plus points, I think, as, as a, a ceiling. Um, I would love to see them lock up Christian Malinen here long term. It's just a tough sell to him because he knows exactly what he can do as well, and he's got a summer to prove it now. So he's got a summer to get better, to get stronger. He knows he can compete at the NHL level for 20 minutes a night. So I think that he's thinking he's going to have to cash in at one point. If you give him an extra t- couple seasons, he thinks he can get that big cash in, then sign a six-year deal. So I think it's going to be a very tough sell for him, meaning it would be a lot of money for him. So a big money contract, I mean, it sounds great on paper, but from the player's perspective and from an agent's perspective, it's a very tough sell without a big money investment. Do you, do you see the same thing for Colin White? What do you think it would take to get him to sign for, let's say, six years here coming out of his entry level? I think it's got to be at the $4.5, $5.5 million range for all of those years, which is a big, sizable commitment for a guy that's really only put up 40 points in a season where we were surprised he was able to get to that number. Yeah, I... I don't know if I'm with you on locking down Willinen just yet. I mean, we've only seen 40 games of NHL experience and 40 games of AHL experience. So that's a small sample size. Don't get me wrong. I'm not doubting what he can do. It's just tough to kind of, like you said, Chris, it's tough where like where he sees he fits and where the Sensei hit. Uh, he fits to come together for term and dollar amount that both sides would agree with. But with Colin White, I think you've seen enough sample size with he pretty much played the entire season this year and he lit it up. If if I'm the Senators, I'm trying to get Colin White locked up as long term as you can. Like you said, Chris, four and a half, five million for maybe five years, I think is a good deal for both teams. And if you're the Sen or both sides, and if you're the Sens, you're probably getting a discount on years three, four, and five on Colin White if he's uh, signed for under five million. So that's that's a good bet for both sides, I would say. The only problem with signing Colin White to a five-year deal is it would be like Matthews just signed for five years. That brings you right to unrestricted free agency, which we know is where Ottawa has trouble signing its players. Yeah. So you want to buy up a year or two of those unrestricted free uh, unrestricted years, I think, to keep him longer but remember Colin White is the same age as Thomas Shabbat the only reason why uh, he's up this year Shabbat next is because he came up at the end of 2017 and mm-hmm. played a game so he burned a year off of his entry level he's only 21 whereas Christian Willinen is already 24 after three years of college more mature so I'm saying you sign him to a, him to a six-year deal and he is in your core for his prime until he's 30 years old and that's why I think a six-year deal for him looks really good um, I would go up. I I would commit to Willinen to the extent six years, twenty five million, something around around that. You're looking at about four and a half a season. Maybe he exceeds that, and and it ends up being a steal. But I think for the first couple of years, it's a steal for for Willinen. So I mean, it's gonna be interesting to play play out those two. Another more interesting one, I think, is Anthony Duclair because he showed pretty well in in. His time in Ottawa after the trade deadline, I don't see any reason why it would 
wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want him back? It's just, it is his fifth team, though, so there has to be some sort of red flags uh, flying around. Let's say he comes to you and he says, I want a three-year contract. Do you think he has that kind of leverage, or can Ottawa really get him here on a one-year deal? Well, I think that the one-year deal, Ross, you already mentioned it. You don't want to go year by year. Station to station doesn't really work in a rebuild. you got to commit to the players you like. And that shows him, a longer deal shows him, he's a big part of your team moving forward. You believe in him. This guy's 23. We just talked about how much that, I mean, he's older than Colin White. He's older than Thomas Shabbat. He, he can be that guy that can grow with your team. He's only 23 years old, and he's already played 287 NHL games. Yeah. You get to that 300 mark, you're an NHLer. And just be able to get to a, a guy that is speedy, he can score, he seemed to fit in with the group, and he seems like a confident guy. You allow, you give him your confidence to add to his. I think you've got a good player in Anthony Duclair that you can watch blossom into his prime, his 26, his 27 years. If you go three, four years on a deal, you're going to get the best of Anthony Duclair at a time where he's already shown he can stick around in the NHL. Yeah, Chris, I, I tend to agree with you on that one. I think... I think with Duclair, a guy who's been bounced around, and he's making the league minimum right now with his salary. So any sort of contract really would be an upgrade. Um, I think if you give him some term, that shows you're confident in him. He can kind of set his roots down and really stop having to worry about being traded and stuff. And let's not forget, guys, the Sens have to reach the salary cap floor. Like, you got to pay some guys. So why not stick with a guy who you know, who has meshed well in your system, and you can kind of uh, take it's like a low, low risk, high reward situation with Duclair, which we talked about a couple times. So I have no problem trying to get him back, even if it means a couple years at a couple million. I think that's fine. Some of the RFAs in the system, Marcus Hogberg, we already spoke about. There's been a, a couple rumblings, which I believe were put out by his agent, just saying that there is an offer in the Swedish Hockey League maybe nudging the sense to move on from Mike Condon via buyout or long-term injured reserve or whatever. Or just buried. <laughs> or, just, or just buried. I mean, we saw him play one game in Belleville this year. Got the win. Got the win. Six <laughs> goals against. But, um, you on, played a win. Andreas Englund, who, I mean... I Gone. Yeah. But I think that that's why they called him up. To, he played in the last game of the season against Columbus. It was probably a stick-taps type situation. You know, thank you for your service. Um, but we're going to move on. And credit to him, though, he's currently the all-time leader in games played for the Belleville Senators. 137 games played, but I think with the plethora of young defensemen here joining the organization and, and ready to grow into a bigger role, his role is pretty much diminished. Uh, Jack Rodewald, love to see him back on a two-way yep. two contract. As you mentioned, maybe get a couple more sniffs in the NHL, but really be a veteran for Belleville. And then Nick Paul. I would imagine Nick Paul is looking for a one-way contract. What's what's the call? Yeah, I, I, and I think they owe it to Nick Paul to give him a one one-way deal, especially since he there's been so much uncertainty about about him his role in this franchise. So I have no problem bringing Nick Paul back, even if it means he's either a, a bottom six forward or. He's a guy that you keep in the minors a little longer just to kind of show you that he can he can excel with other prospects that the Sens are inevitably going to bring in with all these picks and possibly more trades. So Nick Paul has shown this year 
that he doesn't need to be a guy who you're humming and hawing about whether you're going to keep him in the organization, but you keep him and see what he can do, and hopefully he can continue his success that he had this season. There's a couple of unrestricted free agents that may affect if Nick Paul's brought back because there's only a a finite amount of forward spots, especially in your bottom six. But, boy, did a few guys come in and impress uh, we already talked about Duclair, but how about Brian Gibbons and Oscar Lindbergh coming in and showing that they want to be a part of the future? Brian Gibbons had six goals and 14 points in 20 games. 14 points in 20 games. You bring him back? I mean, I don't see how you can't. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like it was just kind of all things were going right for him at some point. He scored from his back against the Leafs. There's yeah. a lot of things that, <laughs> that went his way in a short period of time. His I mean, when you're hot, percentage you're hot. was uh, 28.6, highest which, on the Ottawa Senators. Oh, lock is, him up. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sample size is elite. I'm not going to lie to you, but uh, <laughs> it's tough to assume you're going to get that kind of th- play back from him. I know you got to hit the cat floor, but I would way rather see an Alex Formanton get that roster spot than a Brian Gibbons. Yeah, don't get me wrong. That was fun with Gibbons. Uh, I liked what he brought to the table. He really meshed. But for a smaller guy who's on the wrong side of 30, I think you just look back and smile at the Brian Gibbons days. of the uh, Yeah, the era of uh, Gibbons in Ottawa. And I think you just say thanks for your time and hopefully you get a contract somewhere else. Because I think you, you need to start betting on guys with upside. That's what you need to do. You've seen what Gibbons did, and I mean, when you got a 28 and change uh, percentage, shooting percentage, and one of those goals came off your back, I mean, it's not really sustainable. So stick taps to Gibbons, but see ya. Well, you need to fill out your roster, though. So out of these three UFAs, I mentioned Oscar Lindbergh as well, who played pretty well um, with eight points in 20 games, and Magnus Pajarvi, who had 11 goals in 80 games. Do you bring back any of them? It, it's tough to say. I mean, it it really is because you don't know what you're going to have come camp. Uh, if if young guys are able to come in and show up, we haven't even seen the draft yet. We don't know what will happen. Guys like Brady Kachuk weren't even on the radar at this point last year and came in and were leading goal scorers. I'm not going to say you're going to have that again this year, but all the pieces aren't in front of you to make that sort of decision, and that's what makes it tough. Well, and also, we don't know about guys like Max Verono who came in and, yeah. I mean, four points in 12 games. Like, does he automatically get a spot on Ottawa next year, or could we see him start in Belleville? There are a lot of, of uh, ifs going on right now. And, I mean, we'll be back over the summer. Our next episode will be after the Ottawa Senators hire a coach, and we'll break that down. But we can report through what Bruce Garriock had in, in his paper, as well as a, a note from uh, Pierre Lebrun as well that, the search has been narrowed down. Guys who still in contention, Mark Crawford, Troy Mann, Jacques Martin, what's old, maybe new again, Nate Lehman from Providence, who's been coaching the Friars, a little college action. I know you were big on Greg Carville, who ended up uh, re-signing um, where he was. And then DJ Smith, who, I mean, if you read the comments to that post by Pierre Lebrun, Lee fans think it's hilarious. So I don't think that that's... Um, I think it, it's a bit of an indictment. I think uh, they, yeah. <laughs> if the fans of the team that he's on are, are like, okay, take him, 
Um, then that's interesting. A couple that I'll just throw out of left field, Brad Shaw, who's still with Columbus. So of course, still in the playoffs. Don't know if, if that'll change once they're eliminated, if the last to speak to him, they haven't yet. Same with Sheldon Keefe of the Toronto Marlies. Who knows if they'd even get permission. Of course, he's got his relationship with Kyle Dubas, but still in the playoffs. So I don't think it's, I don't think you'd ever hear of a team asking to interview a coach who's still coaching during the season so that's something that we'll keep uh, an eye on and of course the president of hockey ops is it actually ever going to happen right now it's just lip service so we'll kind of leave that one dormant for now but the draft is upcoming and the Sens have seven picks no sixth rounder but two second rounders they have Florida's and their own Florida's from San Jose despite San Jose acquiring it for Mike Hoffman just to bring that whole thing Carlson Hoffman situation full circle. Uh, it was the higher of the two picks, so it ended up being being Florida's. But just a note on that as well. Columbus is obviously Ottawa has their first round pick, and that depends on the playoffs. So if Columbus wins this series and moves on to the conference finals, that pick will be no better than twenty seventh overall. Jeez, not good. That's only four away from their second round pick. That's yeah. crazy. However. The best case, if Columbus loses to the Boston Bruins and Dallas and Colorado win, that becomes 17th overall. So the way that works is it would be 19th, but because Dallas and Colorado finish with less points in the regular season, if they moved up to the conference finals, they would be the last four picks in the first round. So that would push everybody up two spots. So... If you're a Sens fan, you're cheering for Columbus to lose to Boston. You're cheering for Dallas and Colorado, which, I mean, it seems doable the way the, this yeah. round of the playoffs has started. Absolutely. it's so This time of year is so funny if you're already looking forward to the draft. And it, it's unfortunate for teams and fans to have to be looking forward to that sort of thing and scoreboard watching like that. We'd rather be playing. But, I mean, it, it'll be interesting how it comes down 27th. Yeah, 27th puts a puts a real damper on what seemed to be a, a good thing coming out of the draft lottery, but uh, yeah, it, it's a big difference between 17 and 27. Absolutely, it is, and it's not like the NFL. I mean, the NFL draft just happened, so it's fresh in my mind. Where where you're drafting for more of a need, and maybe a guy would still be there. This is best player available, and you don't want. I feel like the drop is so magnified after 10. Like each pick, the drop off is is. Is it can be immense. So we'll be back to break all the draft and we'll have a draft preview show coming up. But also we can't uh, forget to mention just before we go, the world championship starting May 10th in Slovakia. It'll be in Bratislava and Kosic. Why, why do I mention Kosic? Because that is hometown of Christian Jarosz. So he'll be uh, able to play in, I, I think it's a pretty small town. So I think that'll be kind of cool for him and, playing in front of family and friends and i think that can only help his confidence he'll probably play like a top two role obviously chair won't be there um may, is mazaros retired or maybe we'll see a mazaros yarrow <laughs> pairing wouldn't that be fun that's a good combo uh so he's one of four senators so far confirmed and i think the fact that cc hasn't been named he said he wouldn't unless he had a contract done I don't know. People are saying, I'm not saying, but people are saying <laughs> that might mean that uh, they're not going to agree on a contract. But Thomas Shabbat will play for Canada. Colin White, after a very impressive world championships last year, will be back with the U.S. Always plays well in the red, blue, and white. 
He does, yeah. What was? Did he have seven goals in seven games at the World Juniors as well? I don't know. He dabbed. I stopped He's, watching. Yeah, <laughs> and he, and he yelled it in uh, the Canada goalie's face after a goal too. Yeah, use use a real shift disturber uh, there. <laughs> And then, of course, Rudolf Balsos will be playing for Latvia. And yep. a report coming out uh, from Bruce Garriott today, uh, Brady Kachuk was invited, turned it down to focus on his off-season training. And coming out of college where he played, what, 40 games last season and and playing as many as he did this year, I think that's a great move. Are, are you happy with Absolutely. that? I know you'd love to see him play there, but I think this could help him more long-term. For sure. Another guy that plays very well in the red, blue, and white. And it would be fun for him, I'm sure, going to play with guys he's grown up with. And that his brother played with. They're bringing a squad. They've got Johnny Goudreau, Patrick Kane, Jack Eichel, just to name a few going. Absolutely. And what I love is Brady Kachuk. Everyone can say, oh, I'm going to try and have a big offseason. He's got all the tools in front of him working out with Gary Roberts. So this, I'm expecting him to come back even more of a monster and... I mean, what's more to be said about Brady Kachuk? He's becoming a man, so let's let's hope he turns into one this offseason. And I think that shows some good responsibility from Kachuk, too. Like like Ross said, that U.S. team is just stacked. Who wouldn't want to go play and uh, go over to Europe and play in that tournament with a bunch of studs, have a good time? Probably they're one of the favorites for sure. So that's something that, as a young player, most young players would jump on. But Brady Kachuk, I think, realizes how important he is to this franchise in a humble way, though, you know? Like, he he uh, led the team in goals by the time all the other stars were shipped out. So he knows that he can't risk getting an injury or something like that because this team literally depends on him to start. And he's... I would say probably the fan favorite in Ottawa. So he's recognizing that he's a cornerstone of this franchise and he needs to put the team ahead of his own, maybe personal enjoyment and, uh, and hockey experiences to tack on the resume. And he's making sure that he's probably going to try to bulk up this summer and come back even better next season. And as we tweeted out at send central, you can find us on Twitter which sense storyline do you find the most intriguing heading into the offseason? These kind of sum up what we just spoke about. And 51% so far say the head coaching search. That'll be really important. 28% say the draft. 14% is what's going to happen with their current free agents. And 7% other. We mentioned a comment below. And a lot of the comments are, what's the deal with the president of hockey operations? We don't know anything So as I mentioned, we're going to let that one sleep until there's actually news to discuss. But we'll be back here once the Sens name a coach. It's going to be before the draft, so we'll have that with a draft preview. And coming up after the draft, we might get TSN scouting director to come break down the Ottawa Senators draft. Exciting times ahead. The black cloud of no first-round pick has passed. It's not first overall. So, Sens fans, you can sleep easy. And lots going to happen before they take the ice here. For development camp. Can't wait, boys. So signing off for Chris Parliament and Brandon Pillar. I'm Ross Levitan. Go Sens Go!